like to welcome everyone to another CMC podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the MRA or the Mountain Rescue Association. And joining us to tell us more about the MRA, uh, we have Doug McCall. Doug, would you like to uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell our audience a little bit more about you? Yeah, thanks, Doug. Uh, my name is Doug McCall. I'm the current president of the Mountain Rescue Association. Um, I just about my, me myself. Uh, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. I uh, moved out to uh, Seattle to do an internship, uh, fell in love with the area, and uh, my cousin had took me climbing. Uh, my first alpine ascent was uh, uh, Mount uh, Shuxon, and we did, did that and was just immediately hooked from there. So uh, been out climbing probably for in the Mount in the Cascades for probably about, uh, over 20, 25 years now. Uh, I was, it used to be a volunteer firefighter, uh, started at age 16 at a cadet program and loved the idea of helping people. And, um, then tried, fell in love with the mountaineering and wanted to figure out a way to put those two things together. And, uh, one of my buddies, uh, at, who's a volunteer firefighter also, was uh, in Seattle Mountain Rescue and said, hey, you should probably uh, come take a look at this at the Seattle Mountain Rescue. So that's what I did and uh, have been uh, a Mountain Rescue member since 2008 and uh, recently became the president of the Mountain Rescue Association uh, in 2019 or 2020. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a little bit about me. Excellent. It's always good having another fire guy, fire guy in the podcast here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, next we have uh, Monty Bell. Monty, do you want to tell the, our audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm not a fire guy, so I uh, hope that doesn't disqualify me from the meeting. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm Monty Bell. Uh, I'm a 30-plus year member of the San Diego Sheriff's Mountain Rescue Unit um, here in California, um, I'm also the current membership chairman for the Mountain Rescue Association. I'm uh, also a past president of the Mountain Rescue Association and a past president of uh, NASAR, which is the National Association for Search and Rescue. Um, I'm also the uh, current program manager for the MRA uh, mission database and uh, along with the um, program manager, being program manager for the uh, California Office of Emergency Services uh, mission database as well. And um, I got into search and rescue. Uh, kind of an interesting story. I'm an I'm a uh, I'm an Eagle Scout and uh, uh, also a uh, avid outdoors person. And one year uh, after, um, in my early 20s, I was uh, out uh, on a hunting trip in Colorado and uh, got myself lost uh, and spent the night in uh, a snowstorm out there and uh, was found the next day by a search and rescue crew. And I figured uh, I wasn't gonna let that happen again. And uh, so I quickly found uh, the closest search and rescue team in San Diego, joined it and uh, learned everything I could. And, and thank God I haven't gotten lost again. So it seems to be working out. Excellent. Well, you just redeemed yourself that you're a fellow Eagle Scout, so that's good. So <laughs> good. we'll give you a pass on the fire thing. So. <laughs> good. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, last but not least, a familiar voice, uh, but now kind of in a, a little bit of a new context with this subject, uh, John McKinley. Yeah, my name is John McKinley, and uh, I, too, am not a firefighter. I, too, am an Eagle Scout, and I have never been lost in the subject of a search and rescue mission. So we have similarities in, in things that aren't quite the same. 
Uh, my uh, background is I just retired as a school director for CMC Rescue. I'm still involved teaching classes uh, for both CMC and California State OES. But um, when I was active in search and rescue, which again was just a recent change in my uh, life after 47 years, which has uh, been very, very difficult to give up, um, and I guess I haven't because I'm on this podcast, uh, but I was a member of a mountain rescue team um, for that time, the Montrose Search and Rescue Team in Los Angeles County, um, California. It's one of um, eight rescue teams in, in L.A. County, which uh, probably has the record for the most teams in a county. But um, I'm, I'm back, you know, that and I think in full disclosure that I should say that I'm, I'm, I've, I've been part of that fine organization for a long time. And It'll probably come out again from either Doug or Monty, but um, one is not um, a member of the MRA, particularly as an individual. Yeah, you get a card, but it's really the team that is uh, the member of the organization and you're a member of a team. So I don't know if they want to go into that process a little bit later, but uh, have been involved with the MRA for, like I said, almost 50 years. Excellent. Thanks, John. So, uh, Doug, maybe do, do you want to start us out a little bit? Uh, tell us a little bit about the history of, of MRA and just a little bit more about the organization. Yeah, sure. So, Mountain Rescue Association uh, really started, uh, it, it was officially incorporated in 1959, um, but it started a little bit before that. Uh, there, was, there were teams that started uh, kind of in the Seattle area. There's also uh, the Hood River Crag Rats and and even Portland Mountain Rescue, and I'm speaking to the Northwest, uh, that's my, what I'm most familiar with. So I apologize if I miss anyone. Um, I know Sierra Madre was uh, around, uh, they're celebrating their 70th year this year. Um, but we started out and uh, helping people in the mountains. Uh, people would get a call and uh, someone would go help. And then there were a couple missions on Mount Rainier where uh, somebody was somebody needed help. And the call went out and a lot of people came from from different areas and different backgrounds. And there wasn't you didn't necessarily know who was really qualified to be in the upper mountain uh, on Mount Rainier. And uh, so a lot of things happened that teams got together who uh, Omi Diber and uh, Dr. Otto Trot, who were in the Seattle area, started to work with the Portland Mountain Rescue folks in the Hood River Crag Rats to say, hey, we need a, we need a way to say who, who should be uh, responding to these missions in this technical terrain? Uh, who, should be, who, sh- who should be in the upper mountain? And who should we kind of look at and say, yeah, maybe, maybe we're not feeling as good about them as climbers. Um, so maybe uh, they, can be, they can have another function. Uh, but operating in the upper mountain in the technical terrain, um, you know, they they need they needed a way to make that happen or to recognize who was legitimate legitimately able to operate in that, and so they started uh, what's called the Mountain Rescue Association uh, to uh, and they, they incorporated it in Mount Hood uh, and there was there was one there was kind of one thing between Portland Portland and Seattle uh, Seattle at the time was called Mountain Rescue Council. Um, and Mount St. Helens it kind of sits about right in the middle between Seattle and Portland. And um, this, gave, this gave us an opportunity to work together to say, uh, if you were a mountain rescue team, 
uh, it means you've uh, proven yourself or you're now accredited, uh, what, we're, what, we're, what we're now doing accreditation, in uh, technical rock, uh, snow and ice, uh, and search uh, techniques, uh, you get to wear the mountain rescue patch. And that patch, when you showed up on missions, and even today, when I show up on a mission, I see a MRA logo patch or a mountain rescue patch. I know that that person is capable of operating technical terrain. I know that uh, they may not have the same rigging systems that that my team uses, but we can figure it out um, you know, very, very quickly. Um, the, the functions are about the same. So uh, we incorporated in Mount Hood, MRA incorporated in Mount Hood, uh, 1959. And uh, we now have, I think, over uh, 90 teams uh, across the country with uh, over 3,000 members uh, as part of those teams. Uh, and so I think that's kind of a high-level background. Monty or John, uh, I'm sure I missed some stuff, but feel free to jump in where I, where I missed. I, I think you covered it pretty well, Doug. John, you got anything to add on that one? Um, no, I don't. Um, I, I think that's a good thing. And and I think the important part there, aside from just uh, being a nationwide organization, is that, um, that, you know, and you guys might want to go into it more, is the, the accreditation process for the team and the continual or reaccreditation process. Well, it's not the same for every region. Um, I think that's important to know for people to know that it's not just a one-time deal, but it's a continual process to make sure that everybody's still up to speed and they're not just resting on their laurels. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and then, uh, and Doug, by the way, I just went to, and John, I just went to uh, Riverside Mountain Rescue's 60th anniversary uh, on Saturday. So, oh wow, yeah. That's, there you go. That's yeah, awesome. my, um, you mentioned Sierra Madre. I got the invitation for their 70th. Yep. Um, our team's 70th was three years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so you've got, uh, you know, some 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 longtime teams, a member of the organization since uh, almost the beginning. Uh, yeah. Our team came in just a couple of years later, but um, the teams have been around for a long time doing a lot of good work. And yet, Monty, you might talk about it as uh, for new teams um, that we continually get applications and teams are continually joining the organization. Yeah, maybe can one of you, uh, either, either Doug or Monty, do you want to kind of go through what that accreditation process is? So if somebody comes in as a new team, you know, as a new team, what do they actually go through from a, a testing or an accreditation standpoint? Yeah, no, excellent question. Um, so when, when a team first applies, and, and really the main reason teams want to join the Mountain Rescue Association is because they they do seek that um, that accreditation, right? So that that puts them at a level, as as uh, as Doug mentioned, you know, to wear the the prestigious blue patch, which which you know helps elevate their um, ability in in search and rescue. And and the great thing about the accreditation process is it's it's peer reviewed, right? So you're not self testing; you're actually being evaluated by other teams that are that are saying whether you're you know you're you're uh, meet the qualifications or not. So when a team comes um, comes to join. Um, depending on what region they're, they're, they're located in, because every region has a little bit of different flavor on the specifics that are geared uh, towards that particular region, right? So things we do here in California um, are a little bit different than things they do up in the Pacific Northwest and a little bit different than they do in the desert mountain regions. So we, 
The national has a, a, a set of guidelines of certain proficiencies that you need to uh, be proficient at, but the specific details is really up to the local region to determine what that is for that particular region. And so um, what usually happens is the team, when they, when they, after they apply, they're usually teamed up with another mentor team in that particular region that sort of walks them through and trains with them uh, specifically what the testing is going to look like and really assess their skills uh, on the onset to see, are they going to be ready to be able to take the test? And for most teams, it takes them about a year to be able to go through the various applications to understand um, what the test is going to be in that particular uh, region. And then at that point, uh, the mentoring team will usually recommend to the region that they're, you know, this team is ready to go and ready to test, and then they'll test. And they can either test in all of the three different specific uh, venues, which is the uh, uh, search management, uh, technical snow and ice, and uh, technical rock. They can either all do all three at once, uh, depending again on their region requirements, or uh, as we do here in California for the most part, um, we'll just test you in one discipline at a time. And, uh, and usually it's, a, it's a, a full day venue, and it's usually a scenario that, like here in California, for example, we'll do um, a, a, a live scenario where if it's a missing person or it's a technical uh, rescue, where we'll actually have a subject that you'll need to go and locate, uh, you'll need to assess the situation, you'll need to set up all your proper uh, anchors and, 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 act, and assess the, um, the individual. You have, there's a medical component that's required as well. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, then, then, then all the other uh, work that goes along that same thing for snow and ice. So it's, um, it's, it's not easy. Most teams do not pass, uh, the first go around, um, usually takes them a couple tries to get it, uh, even though they've been practicing for a year. And that doesn't, um, mean that that particular team, uh, isn't good or qualified by no means. It just means that the, the, you know, the bar is set fairly high. And anytime you're dealing with a, a peer review type of um, system, you know, you're going to have other teams that are going to be uh, critically watching you and they're going to, you know, assess you and, and, and rightfully so to make sure that, you know, you've checked everything off um, the way it's supposed to be done and you've done it safely. You've been able to, uh, uh, you know, assess the, 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 the patient and, you know, administer medical and whatever it needs to get done. But, um, but again, as Doug pointed out earlier, um, you know, once you go through, your team has gone through all of those different scenarios, those different accreditations, and now you have, you can wear the, 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 the blue patch. We see you up on a hill somewhere, and I know that if you're tying the anchors up above, and I don't know you other than I know you're on another team, it happens to be an MRA team, and you happen to actually have a blue patch on, I know that your skill set is going to be that where I'm going to trust whatever you tie together is I'm going to be able to trust that and be lower down, even though you and I personally have never worked together. But I do know that we have the same uh, testing and background uh, to, to, to obtain the blue patch. So just out of curiosity, is it kind of more of like a JPR system where you, you basically, like let's say for hauling systems that the, the team would have to set up a haul, you don't dictate which specific ones yeah, exactly. as opposed yeah. to a, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. going to say that, yeah, in, in the technical rescue portion of it, you know, in that of, of the three items, and, and it comes up again in snow and ice too, yeah, you're going to you're gonna end up, your problem is going to involve a raising system, a lowering system with a patient, 
um, and all those sorts of things. So pretty much all the skills are going to be involved. And like Doug mentioned, um, you may not do it the same way, but you know, and Monty said this too, that it's going to be safe and it's going to work. And the driver behind all of this, and, and again, Doug mentioned it too, it kind of became almost a mutual aid type of system. When you think about 50, 60, 70 years ago, it wasn't as defined as it is now, but when a team had a problem and they needed additional help, they'd turn around and call other teams and they wanted to be qualified. And so, and, and we used to have in, in California, what we used to refer to as an MRA call out, where you get a call up in the Sierra or something uh, where you had uh, high angle, high altitude, and all the things that come with it, you'd call the MRA teams because you knew who they were qualified and the MRA teams would turn around and say, yeah, I know these people have these skills and I'm not saying other people don't have the skills, but they had gone through the the extra effort to, to be tested, to be peer reviewed and to continue with the process. And uh, that's kind of the reason why it all came together because they're there wasn't, and other than the Mountain Rescue Association, there really still isn't any sort of a, a nationwide standard or anything like that for proficiency on these things. And everybody has said it. It's a big country. Things are done differently. But, um, you know, we could go to Colorado and have gone to Colorado, and we know who we're, when we're working with somebody there, there's a level of respect and confidence in what everybody's doing. Yeah, just... Whether it's Colorado or New Jersey, um, uh, we have teams in North Carolina. Um, you know, we have a lot of teams in the West, on the West Coast, but we know that you know, we can get together with any of those teams. And uh, if uh, somebody from Stowe Mountain Rescue uh, needed additional resources uh, and they would be willing to wait for folks to fly out from Seattle, we uh, we could use, you know, we could use them or vice versa. Um, they could use us and, or you know, we could use them. They could use us. Uh, and, and, the, the teams are essentially interchangeable in that way. Um, and, and they just work really well, really well together. Yeah. And really what, 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 what also sets us apart is that, uh, you know, not only do you have to go through the accreditation the first time to just to, to become a fully accredited uh, team member, um, how, but you also need to re-accredit every five years. So every five years, you've got to do this whole scenario over again um, and prove that you know you've got that same proficiency as a team um, each and each every uh, you know, each each time every five years. So um, which you know adds adds um, you know a, a, another uh, you know another level uh, to this whole thing, which is really cool. And even teams like myself, you know, I'm in San Diego, California. People can say, well, geez, San Diego, California. I mean, how much snow and ice do you get in San Diego, California? Right. Um, and uh, which, you know, which is not a lot. However, we do respond and quite frequently on mutual aid in the state of California to areas uh, up in L.A. County, for example, that that does have snow and ice. So we have to, you know, our team has to travel, um, you know, considerable distance just to keep that practicing skill up. So that we can perform not only on our reaccreditation, but that we can perform any time in between those reaccreditations when we're called on a mutual aid call um, up in the snowy mountains. Even though you know down here in San Diego we get lovely beach weather. So, and I think uh, Matt, you just brought up a, a really good point here. Uh, some of the different trainings. 
So obviously, uh, I think pretty much in any kind of training, we can divide it into pre-COVID and post-COVID, because <laughs> uh, obviously that changed the, the way everyone in the, in the nation, if not the world, uh, did things. So maybe if we can start talking about pre-COVID times, uh, you know, what, what training opportunities were offered through the MRA or you know, uh, did uh, maybe not even necessarily an MRA-sponsored event, but did MRA teams do maybe within... Uh, you know, multiple teams like mutual aid training or whatever. What's out there? Uh, so uh, typically, the the regions will uh, will organize uh, training within their within their region. Um, I know in, in the Washington region, uh, we'll have we'll have uh, one or two mutual trainings a year um, uh, with with all the different teams uh, in the state, and so that that's actually really good for us. You know, when we're working together, and then sometimes we'll even do more frequent trainings with uh, teams who are immediately neighboring to us. So uh, Seattle will work with Everett, Everett Mountain Rescue, uh, and Tacoma, which are both north and south. Um, and and we'll also see each other uh, on callouts uh, on Mount Rainier uh, frequently um, as well. So, uh, and I think and I wanted to add one thing to the reaccreditation every five years is. Um, it's not a given uh, that the teams who are already MRA teams uh, pass that. Um, uh, I've seen teams not not pass um, uh, on certain on certain um, disciplines and have to come back and retest and reevaluate um, after they've uh, had a you know three to six months to to train up again and make sure they're uh, at the at that level. Uh, but that that reaccreditation every five years that that really kind of puts in the back of your brain um, that you you need to be continually operating um, at that at a at a high level uh, at the level that you need to, to be able to pass a peer review at any time and um, and I would think you know for the most part any team any MRI team is uh, act, is working at that level. Um, to, to be able to pull off any mission that, that they're tasked with. So I, I, that's kind of, a, I really like that aspect of it. And then we'll, we'll have some other um, uh, mutual aid trainings. Actually, this coming, in two weeks, we're having a mountain rescue challenge um, just in, in Washington where we're inviting uh, MRA teams from in, in Washington to come uh, do... I think there are four different events. Um, there'll be a, a rigging, you know, a high angle, a low angle, uh, a guiding line or a tracking line, whichever, however you want to call that one. Um, and then a medical station. And we're going to have uh, all the full full member teams will be participating. Uh, and we'll also have some of our ex officio teams, um, uh, uh, NAS Whidbey Island, uh, the Navy uh, helicopter that they're not going to bring their helicopter. They're going to bring their people. So, um, I was, I was trying to be on that team so they could get a little bit of a cheat on, but, uh, that they're going to be there, uh, just, you know, working with us just as we do as, as if we were to be on a, on a mission on the side of a mountain, uh, if they were to fly in, um, they're going to want, they're going to want to know that they can trust us and we can trust them. And we're always uh, working well together on that. So. Excellent. Yeah, Monty, what about down by you? Yeah, well, so um, so the so, so the great thing about 
California, um, probably the only good thing about California, <laughs> the MRA teams, is that we um, we actually do, for our reaccreditation, right, instead of doing all three disciplines at one time, which makes it, as I said earlier, a little bit problematic here in, 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 uh, in, in California because of the weather, we actually do one of our reaccreditations each year. So every three years or on the fourth year is when we reaccredit again. So, so we all get together as a, as a, as a MRA teams once a year. And it's a big event because we have anywhere from three to 400 people that show up at one of our um, reaccreditations because we have 22 teams. And if everybody's, you know, from all the way up in Northern California and they all come down and we, you know, we meet somewhere in a location where the, uh, where the discipline is going to be at. And then, um, um, so because of that, you know, we end up getting such a, a, a gathering of people that we get to get together. We get to not only do our uh, separate uh, reaccreditation at that particular time, but we also get to do a lot of networking. There's a lot of other sidebar conversations going on. Uh, some side trainings are going on. Teams are getting together um, and planning other events where two teams are going to come together and, and do some sort of a, uh, a training together. In the, uh, you know, in the in the few in the coming months. And so it's a great event uh, that we get to do that here in, 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 uh, in California that uh, is unlike all the other regions. And so that really brings all of us together to be able to kind of share different information um, and have, and we usually make a, a, a long weekend out of it. So, you know, we usually having a, a you know, a, a dinner barbecue in the evening, people get together, more conversations about rescues and things that are happening. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that we've, we've done here in California for, for decades and that's worked out really well. Um, and then the teams themselves, a lot of them are, you know, very familiar. Example, you know, our, our adjacent team is, is Riverside Mountain Rescue here in San Diego. Riverside's the adjacent county to us. And, and I was just saying earlier that I was just at their 60th um, anniversary uh, dinner on Saturday. But we also train, for example, uh, with Riverside a lot. And all the other L.A. teams I know train together and they do a lot of uh, different joint trainings together. Again, you were talking about pre-COVID, so we're we're all just getting back into um, you know what training looks like now. Uh, now that we're into COVID, because we've kind of we're all just kind of feeling that way out. But um, but yeah, pre-COVID, you know, we were extremely active during COVID, and even right now, we're starting to gear back up again. Some teams faster than others, um, but it just it just depends on the location. Northern California's kind of slowing down a little bit because uh, COVID is a little bit more rampant up there than it is down here in, in, in Southern California, where it seems to kind of, uh, kind of went by the wayside a little bit, at least as far as the activity. So more teams down here are getting together and training. Like our team is, is back in full force training every, every uh, uh, once a month, like we used to. Yeah. I was going to add to that other than the recertification at the, uh, that the 2021 research got nuked because of COVID Doug, but um, actually, it was about the last thing that happened. Mm -hmm. It was kind of touchy in 2020. It was search and tracking, um, and we we did it. And it was like you know the the shutdown came like that next day almost. Yep. But uh, we got it in there, and of course that's the advantage of doing it every three years instead of every five years, is because we've got a little slop in there. And if we miss a year like that, usually what happens is we miss it because we don't have any snow. But right. Um, you know, money keeps kind of says down here. And when you're in San Diego, it's always everything's down. <laughs> but um, many times the only place for snow is it's a long travel for like money says to San Diego. We've had a lot of the snow and ice research have been in the Tahoe Basin, which yeah. is 
uh, for him, eight or nine hours. For us, it was about six. But um, it's it's there's a lot of people to get together, and uh, it's hard to even find a place to do it, let alone organize it. As far as the individual teams go, like as an LA County team, as I mentioned, um, there's six MRA teams in Los Angeles County, and um, immediately adjacent to us, Orange County, Ventura County has two teams, San Bernardino County matches right up to us. And while we might get together for trainings, more than anything else, we're getting together because we have mutual aid calls. Yeah. Um, COVID did not do anything to slow down our activity. Mm-hmm. Um, fires and forest closures, yeah, a little bit here and there. But um, uh, the activity levels from all the teams, and Monty's going to talk about stats in a few minutes, but um, the activity levels, uh, at least for for our teams in Los Angeles County, did not go down at all due to COVID. And so all of our activities really didn't, you know, we were, we were a little, we didn't have visitors to team meetings. Um, we were a little slower to do some, some of that recruitment and some of those things where you're dealing more with the public on, on a, a more of a non-emergency basis when you had a choice, if I guess is the way to work it. But as far as response to calls, uh, training, uh, our team does patrols, all of that continued just like it always did because the people were still out there. In fact, is the call volumes, I believe, went up because they were kind of cooped up and didn't have any place else to go. So they tended to go to a local area. And uh, so COVID, COVID impacted us in some ways, um, but it never was a matter of slowing things down or stopping things or anything like that. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, and I would imagine that more people were getting outside because that was one of the few things that could, but unfortunately it probably didn't make them any more prepared than when they went out. Yeah. And we don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> say in my usual things, but yes, they uh, were pretty much the same as always. Yeah. COVID didn't make them like look at the weather forecasts or take water no. on hot days or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, and it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point too about snow in LA County. Cause you know, from somebody who comes from the Midwest, I got to tell you, I really don't associate LA County with snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to remember fact, that the, the yeah. border between Los Angeles County and San Bernardino County is at Mount San Antonio, which is almost 10,000 feet. And, uh, we have we have a road in in my team's area that gets up almost eight thousand feet. So, you know, and and you know Malibu doesn't get snow in their area, just like San Diego doesn't get a lot of snow in their area. But that doesn't stop them from calls, and it doesn't stop them from mutual aid assists. So, mm-hmm. you know, we it you know we don't get as much snow as we used to. I don't know if that's global warming or what, but um, it's still there. And and the the reason for it, Doug said it, Monty said it, is for mutual aid. We may be in the, in the county, like Orange County doesn't get any snow, San Diego doesn't get any snow, but there's a lot of really rugged, steep, high mountains in Southern California mm-hmm. that a lot of people forget about. Yep. And you've got a population base, depending on where you draw the line, of 20 million people to get up there and get into trouble. <laughs> and as they would say, that is the recipe and several ingredients for disaster. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So actually, John, you brought it up and maybe that could be a nice lead in here. You know, maybe, Monty, if you could talk about your stats program, because I think there's some some valuable data that can uh, that can come out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the MRA started our stats program really back in about 2014. Um, we started doing some testing on um, a new platform to be able to gather the information 
prior to 2014, um, all of our teams were turning in all of their uh, mission data. In other words, how many missions they've gone on, what type of mission, um, you know, what, what were the people that they were looking for? You know, what were they hunters, hikers, and, and some basic information. And it was really everything they could populate on, a, on, a, on an eight and a half by 11 uh, piece of paper. They would mail in the MRA, and then we would basically take that information and data entry that into a giant Excel spreadsheet. Um, and we were doing that for, for decades. And uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was good information, but it wasn't necessarily information that was being utilized and, uh, and it, for us to be able to have an impact um, or be able to disseminate to the, to the public. So about 2014, uh, myself and a, and a couple other people sat down and, and on the back of a napkin, we kind of sketched out literally uh, over a beer and a napkin. We kind of sketched out what, you know, if we could reinvent the wheel, what would be the best way to be able to gather this information and put it down so that not only would it be meaningful, but we could, you know, uh, show it to the, to the public. Uh, teams could show it uh, specifically on what they're doing in their area. Um, and so, you know, what did that look like from a, from a, a spatial type of, uh, uh, analysis? And so we were able to partner with, um, with Esri, uh, which is a GIS, uh, publisher of software. And, uh, they, uh, basically helped us, uh, get this thing geared up. And, uh, and ever since then, we've been collecting information from our teams and, um, and then posting that information um, up, not only is it available on the MRA.org website there on our front page, but there's a, you know easy dashboard there that will show you uh, the data that we've collected um, uh, this particular way since 2018. We have all of that information there. You can look at it by year. You can look at it by um, a type of activity that the person was, was hunting uh, or fishing or whatever they were doing. It also shows it on the map, a, a location of where these incidents are. Um, and so, it, you know, we're finding that, you know, it's becoming um, an extremely popular and valuable resource, not only for our own internal teams, because up until now, we, you know, up until then, we, we, we knew we were going on a lot of missions, but we, we never really had all the data in one place. And so we didn't have things like, for example, like, uh, you know, how many, how many hours of volunteer hours have, are, are we putting in to contribute to looking for people? Um, you know, obviously there's a dollar figure for that. I mean, you know, even though the people, we're all volunteers, but if you were to say, well, you know, if we we're going to, uh, uh, you know, try, if a county or a city was going to, you know, pay for people to do this, what would this look like, right? Well, not, you know, you can quantify that. Uh, uh, you know, that way. Also, how many volunteer miles are driven, right? Because car, you know, we, for work or other things, you're allowed to get reimbursements back. We don't necessarily get those reimbursements, but they do have a cost. So you can show how much money that we're actually saving the public by doing all of this volunteer work. Plus, you can also get down into, you know, who are the subjects that we're really looking for? What are they actually doing? And how can we impact and help mitigate that that risk, um, in other words, what kind of preventative search and rescue type of uh, uh, activities do we need to get involved in, in our state, in our county level to say, look, we're in our particular area, we're looking for this particular person at this age group, that's our, that's our clientele, that's our demographic. So how do we reach out to that group and help them be better prepared um, so that we don't have to go look for them you know, uh, on Sunday evening or Monday morning. And then, you know, all the other different um, uh, information that we can gather um, by collecting that and then, and then being able to analyze it 
has been uh, extremely powerful. I mean, you know, even from fundraising activities, the teams are are able to use this at a local level to show their their county board of supervisors um, or you know the other uh, politicians on what their county is contributing, what their team is contributing to the local area. We can show that from a regional standpoint. We can show that from a nationwide standpoint on the impact of the MRA as a, as a whole. Um, but it's been um, it's it's been a very powerful tool of gathering information and doing things with it. So so powerful that other entities, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the state of California, uh, California Office of Emergency Services, they adopted the same exact program that we're doing. They found uh, they used to also do an old paper. Um, uh, gathering of statistics for the different counties. Um, they saw this as an opportunity. So they've adopted this same exact model, asking the same kind of questions. Um, uh, the state of Vermont is uh, also uh, looking at this. New Jersey is looking at this as well. Um, and the national park system adopted something very similar. They used to do an old Excel spreadsheet and uh, they saw what we were doing over here. And, and it was interesting. I was at a uh, listening to a keynote speaker was actually showing from the National Park System Service that was actually showing what they were doing. And they actually gave credit that they actually, you know, I don't want to say stole this idea from us, but, um, you know, they, they copied this idea from the Mountain Rescue Association and now they're doing it from the National Park side. So it's been, uh, it's been, it's been really cool. Well, a couple of things you said really stood out, and I think one of the the, the first thing that really stood out is you're using this as a, a basically to identify kind of who your demographic is that you're going out on for the prevention. Uh, that that's very interesting, I think, and that you know, I would imagine it's it's a huge difference uh, whether you're primar- primarily going after hunters versus mountain bikers, hikers, so on. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things the Mountain Rescue Association flat out says it's mountain safety and education is 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 the goal. And obviously, we're going to go if 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 people need the services, but it's prevention size worth you know more than the. You know, it's better to better to prevent the incident than to occur. You're always going to have enough calls, and uh, but that's that's one of the challenges or charter reasons for the organization is prevention. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Yeah, they say the you know, the best rescue is one that never happens. Right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and just to to jump right into that that PSAR, um, you know, we were able to take the the stats from the from the uh, from the stats tool that, that uh, the member, membership committee and stats committee came up with and drive uh, a new, we have an online training course or uh, training platform, uh, which we call uh, the MRA base camp. Uh, sorry, it's, it's a little quick plug here, but um, <laughs> all of the, all of the stuff is free. It's just that actually the plug is the more people use it, the better. Um, but we were able to develop uh, some courses that were, that directly reflected uh, uh, you know, reaching the, the, the people who uh, we we learned or we we um, think actually had the the need, and so mm-hmm. in, in that base camp there were um, I think it's a general backcountry safety course that we created uh, that actually launched uh, earlier this year, and uh, it's a it's a very very thorough course, and uh, you know it certainly doesn't beat uh, going out and you know, learning the skills and knowing how to be in the backcountry, but it gives you that core uh, foundational um, information so that when you do go out, you know you go with something in mind. You know what the base, you know, 
we talk about the 10, um, 10 essentials. I mean, not only do you have those, but you, you have like a really good understanding about how to uh, utilize those and, and what, what, why, why you need them. Um, like I can have a map and a compass, but if I don't know how to use either, they're useless. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so I just wanted to jump in on that because uh, it, it reminded me, yeah, we, we launched a couple of classes. It is one step uh, better than having a cell phone with no service though. <laughs> that's yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. No, good, yeah. good point. You know, and Doug, the other thing that we do, um, and it just came to my mind because I actually just provided this information to our uh, medical committee, but um, but teams are also, you know, the information we also collect is, you know, what type of medical um, injury is the person that we're looking for or we find? What, what kind of medical injury did this person actually have so that we could actually start to gear our medical training per team um, based on what's really happening, right? It's, you know, it's, it's great to, to, you know, train, you know, but, uh, you know, to the, to the umpteenth level. But in reality, you know, we're all volunteers. We all have day jobs. And so there's this finite amount of time, uh, you know, time for training. So let's gear our training, especially on the medical side, specifically like, it, you know, these are the specific injuries that our clientele is having in the back country. And, um, and let's train to that level so that we know that uh, we'll be, be, you know, better prepared to tackle that, those instances. And, um, and so that's been, you know, another great benefit about collecting all of this information along with something that I completely forget about that because we're still working on the, the details of that on the back end. But we've also been collecting the lost person behavior. So in other words, people that we go out on a search for, when we find that person, uh, we collect the data. Where did we find them? Uh, you know, how far away from their, you know, from where they were missing? Um, and, and we gather that information so that now we can actually be able to produce that information locally and regionally to say, uh, if a person is in this type of terrain and they go uh, missing, you know, and they're a hiker, uh, you know, there's been a 90% chance that they have been found in this particular area. So if you've got limited resources, let's deploy them initially to that area. Um, we do have some of that information, but that information we currently utilize is actually old information. It's information that was gathered um, in the early 70s, and that's the that's the you know the most latest and greatest information that's out there. Um, well, there's some other there's another uh, uh, publisher out there that has some information too, but we're actually gathering our own information so that these teams can say, hey, where do we normally find somebody when they go down this one uh, particular drainage? Um, oh, here's they, we typically always find them here, and here's the data that shows that. Well, the, I'm glad you brought up the medical thing too, because you guys really do operate under some very different protocols, especially in the backcountry, where you know, in a, in a more urban environment or like in a, you know, fire or third party EMS background, we're used to you know transporting uh, from the time you make patient contact to the time you get to the hospitals, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Or for you guys, it could be literally a day or Days. two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean that. The, the protocols you guys operate under are significantly different and significantly greater challenges. And a lot of that is, is going to depend on the local team. You know, a lot of these things um, are tempered by local conditions and not only search and rescue conditions, but also the local protocols in the counties. You know, the big urban counties have highly developed uh, full-time medical, you know, a medical system and they are going to be the primary EMS provider. And in a rural county or someplace further out, they may not have the manpower. They may not have the expertise. 
uh, to be able to do it. So it's really varied. And of course, Monday and I from California, it's going to be different from us than Doug in, 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 in the Seattle or in Washington state. And certainly going to be different than the guys on the East Coast in Carolinas, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or New England. But, um, you know, that's something that's going to vary throughout the team. But we may be it, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it is also going to depend on what the level of medical training is for the individual, the individuals on the team are going to be dictated by the county. Like in Los Angeles County, EMT is the lowest standard of care. So um, all the Los Angeles County teams are required to be EMTs, whereas that's not necessarily the case in another county because of uh, just, you know, people don't expect the same level of service or the same level of expertise. It's not to say one's right or wrong, um, but it's just something else that people have to count, keep up on Aside from the mountain rescue type of skills, search and tracking and technical and everything like that is also that medical component because once we find them, they're ours until we can pass them off to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've had, you know, we, we've, had, we've had people that, you know, have come from an EMS background and joined our team. And, uh, and then, you know, when we've actually gone out on a call and we've had to spend the night with somebody out in the backcountry and they're, you know, got a fractured femur and, you know, all we have is a couple of small med bags, uh, you know, because we've had a hike in, you know, for, for four or six hours to get to the location to find the person, assess them. And all we got is a small medical bag, some duct tape and some, you know, some wire to put this person back together for 24 hours. Uh, you know, it, for some people that's not used to that. It's definitely a challenge for them to say, geez, I'm used to going right into my ambulance and pulling this out and doing this. It's like, no, what you have is on the back of all, you know, all of us on the team. And that's all we can put together. And, and we got to make it work until we can get it right out of here first thing in the morning. Wow. And, and I'll say, I mean, uh, we, we are you know, particularly blessed uh, in the MRA uh, and we have uh, a, med, a medical committee uh, or MedCom who are... Um, they're ER docs. They're 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 like the high some of the highest level uh, physicians that I uh, that I know of. Um, a lot of several ER docs. Um, we have uh, a physician who who used to be at uh, who'd be at Everest Base Camp, so you know familiar with uh, dealing with uh, the high altitude uh, emergencies. Um, but then we also share you know that information all gets shared back down uh, to all the teams of. Um, how things are going and um, and the best practices, like, you know, treating a, a femur injury in the backcountry. How, how do we do that? And um, we get the opportunity uh, to come around and uh, do, you know, just share these uh, presentations and uh, share this other information at our, our annual spring conference, uh, which is always a, a great, you know, great opportunity for us to just all to get together and learn uh, from each other. And it's uh, it kind of interesting, too. I'm just kind of sitting back listening to you guys talk, you know, looking at the history of the organization starting in 1959. I think it'd be kind of interesting if the founders could jump into the DeLorean with the uh, flux capacitor <laughs> and kind of jump forward and seeing what you guys are doing now with all the different, you know, still, still staying true to that core mission, but how you've expanded that uh, to so many teams and so many members nationwide. So I guess the, the kind of the next logical question is, where, where are you guys going? Where, what do you, what's next on the in the uh, the plans for the MRA? Yeah. So um, so during COVID, we started off with uh, we started a program um, called Third Thursday, 
Uh, it's a it's an online live, live training uh, over Zoom. And um, because we couldn't meet, we, we couldn't have our spring conference. Uh, this gave us the opportunity to come together and share share knowledge. We've we've had um, medical uh, uh, medical discussions. Uh, we've had some rigging discussions. We've had uh, avalanche and uh, uh, awareness and avalanche um, response discussions. So we're going to continue with our third Thursday programming. Um, we also have a very robust. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, spring conference. Um, uh, when we can do an in-person conference, that's really that's really one of the uh, why well, I say the crown one of the crown jewels of the MRA is that it really you get people from all over the country into one uh, in, in one area, and we can you know share ideas and you have the, you have like a, a conference layout you. We also have like a mountain rescue Olympics that everyone can participate in at any level that they want to. Um, and it really, it's really that sharing of knowledge that um, it, it's just, it's, it's hard to replicate. And, and then you have all that and then you can uh, get together for beers afterward. And, uh, and that's when the real, the real, you know, knowledge sharing happens uh, uh, at the end of the day. But um, so we're also, I mean, we'll, we're, I think we started a, a diversity and inclusion committee back in 2016. Um, I, I would say maybe before it, it was uh, popular. And uh, we're continuing to look in the ways to, to make sure that all of our uh, rescuers and all the uh, team members are uh, being, you know, being valued for the, the, what they bring to the team. Um, and then we're also, I, I think this is one, or this one's close to my heart. Is we're we're looking into uh, a leadership and relationship development um, committee. Uh, in fact, I have a meeting tonight uh, with, with that committee, and and that's really looking at. I think that is um, one of the, the paths forward for the MRA is um, bringing that you know relationship development to to our teams at at all levels, and certainly I think they say all politics is local, but you know all relationships are local. You've got to, um, you got to be able to work with your, you know, with your sheriff, with your local sheriff, uh, with your local fire department, with other responders as you go, go through and be able to trust everyone. We want, um, we want them to trust us and we want to trust them as well. But then as we go on into the national level is we're working with the park service and, um, and FEMA and other organizations, we want to make sure that they have a good understanding of who we are, but, but we also we want to bring bring something to the table and develop those relationships. Uh, so I, I would say, uh, and then in the leadership roles of uh, you know helping helping teams become better teams uh, through by providing uh, leadership principles and um, you know help just really helping our teams become better teams. Um, I, I think that's, I, I don't have timelines. Uh, <laughs> if you're like, yeah. Well, I do in my mind, but uh, <laughs> if I share them, then I'm, then I'm definitely held to them. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now the, are some of those training opportunities, like the third Thursday uh, series, is that available to non-MRA members? Uh, like yeah, YouTube so or your website? It is. Uh, it's a, yeah, good, good, good point. Um, we do have a, a, we started this, 
this year uh, a YouTube channel, uh, 2020, a YouTube channel that anyone can um, subscribe to to get the latest, you know, when the, the latest third Thursday is posted. We're start, we initially started MR, uh, third Thursday with MRA teams only, but we've, we're opening that up so to non-MRA teams. Um, uh, really, we weren't sure. We, it was kind of a test um, test site, I guess, initially, but now we, we've realized this is this actually has some legs and we want to make it available to any rescue teams that, that are interested. Um, and then the, what is it, the one, one quarter, I guess one month out of the quarter, we do a mission, major mission review of MRA. Um, and that that's actually a closed session to MRA teams um, just to, but essentially, that's a mission debrief, uh, allows teams who've had a major mission uh, in their area. And pretty much, if you're on an MRA team, there's probably a major mission going on, um, possibly as we speak. And, you know, it, it's They happen pretty frequently. And it gives us an opportunity to share the in an open environment, to share the lessons learned uh, without, just like, as you would uh, coming back off of a, uh, a house fire or uh, a uh, search and not rescue mission, you want to do a debrief with your team, say, hey, what went well? What could we have done different? And um, let's make some, let's learn some lessons so we don't repeat any mistakes that may have happened. So, so we, that's the only one caveat. Uh, but mm -hmm. those, that training is, that training will be available. It's on our mra.org website uh, under training, uh, live training. And then our spring conference. Um, you know, I mentioned that it it's open to anyone who wants to join. Um, our our next spring conference is in Estes Park, Colorado. Um, I think it's the weekend of June tenth, twenty twenty two, and um, it's it's in that week of June twenty of June tenth, um, and uh, we we expect to have a a great turnout there that uh, Estes Park always is. It's a beautiful area, uh, lots of uh, climbing in the area, but also it, it really gives us a chance to, um, yeah, as I said, pull together uh, all the teams and, and learn from those. And I think it's a good opportunity for other uh, non-MRA teams to, to come and learn about MRA, what we do. Uh, but also if teams are interested in joining, that's also a, a you know, good, good time to, to join as well. Oh, very good. So I'm, I'm looking at the time here. It looks like we're uh, probably uh, need to start wrapping up here. So, uh, so John, <laughs> any closing thoughts? Um, no, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's been a great ride with the MRA. I think it's been a great organization. I think it's doing the right thing. We didn't get into accreditations and uh, standards or anything like that. Those are, those would be something we can talk about some other time, but um it, it one last thing, and just to you know build on what Doug said, uh, the MRA was involved from the beginning with the International Technical Rescue Symposium. It kind of goes along on the theme of uh, public education and mountain safety and research and all that sort of things. Is um, the MRA was involved with 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 that from the beginning, still is involved as a co-sponsoring organization. So I want to make sure that people realize that it's not just a it's not any way it has been, and they're continually looking at the things. You talked about, I wonder what the old guys that started it up would have thought, and 
the missions are the same, but the way we solve the missions is radically different. Just, you know, technical rescue, um, everything, you know, doesn't matter what the equipment is. It could be rope and it could be snowshoes, but it, it's all changed. But we're still doing the same sort of thing. And that's just a bunch of volunteers that want to help people and that are going out and looking for them to try to save lives. Excellent. Thanks. Monty. Wow. I think uh, I think uh, we, we covered a pretty good uh, array of things here. Uh, anybody that's interested in uh, joining the uh, Mountain Rescue Association, our information is on the MRA.org uh, website, as Doug pointed out. Um, our spring conference in June is a fantastic place um, to show up. It's going to be a fantastic venue, but just to show up and see what it's all about. Um, I'm, I'm always there and would love to talk to people about joining the MRA. You can give me a ring. You can also find my information on the MRA.org website. And, uh, and then for those that um, are interested in looking more into the statistics of the MRA, uh, feel free to also find it on the MRA.org website. And if you or your agency or entity is interested in starting the same thing for your particular state, um, give me a ring and I will um, connect you to the right people and see if we can get you started on collecting your own information uh, as well. So anyways, appreciate this time. Opportunity has been fantastic. And um, back to you, Doug. Excellent. So Doug, you want to close this out here? Yeah, sure. Sure. So uh, I, I guess a couple of things I want to, you know, be sure to convey is that, you know, the MRA is made up of uh, professional volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're a lot of us, you know, we may have day jobs and, um, it, but, you know, we're, we're professional in the, the rescue work that we do. Um, and uh, it's, and it's it's evidenced by us having to pass these reaccreditations. Um, this it's it's a it's a time commitment, uh, but it doesn't feel like it when you when you really love it, you enjoy it, and you love being in the mountains and getting a chance to do all this stuff. So, you know, our we're we're super lucky to have such a great. I mean, over three thousand people who uh, volunteer with the MRA um, or MRA teams. And, um, and, you know, each one of them are, you know, are, are, are amazing. Um, we appreciate all of their efforts, uh, that they do, uh, every year. So I guess that's, that's all I've got. Oh, yeah. F- fantastic. And, uh, for our listeners too, we'll make sure if you go to the cmcpro.com to the podcast page, we'll make sure and put links, uh, to information about the MRA conference, spring conference, uh, in June and Estes. Uh, and then also to the website and the YouTube page. So some of the things we've discussed here in the podcast, you'll have easy links to, because I think there's some very valuable resources that you guys have talked about here. So um, it's been very educational for me. I'm not a mountain rescue guy from the, uh, you know, the foothills in Wisconsin, which is uh, basically the ditch out in the front road. Uh, <laughs> I'm jealous. But as soon as you said Estes, my wife and I vacation out there every year. It's, we, we need to get to the mountains because we don't have anything like that here. So it's very great uh, hearing all, you know, uh, all of you talk about how well prepared the teams are that cover those areas for the tourists like us that that go out there and try to be prepared uh, that we know we're covered. So uh, thanks again for uh, joining us and uh, stay tuned for another CMC podcast. <laughs>